This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Firstly, I'd like to um, give a brief introduction to our hosts for the day and also to our guests. So, firstly, we have Jason O'Callaghan. Jason is the executive producer of New Game Plus and is a long-time gaming media personality. He has a passion for games extending from his youth and is a self-described true romantic about video games. Uh, We also have uh, Dr. Helen Stuckey. Uh, Helen Stuckey is currently... Thank you. Helen Stuckley is currently a postdoctoral researcher at Flinders University and working on Australia's early game history. A video games curator and historian, she previously worked right here at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image as the inaugural games curator and was the director of the RMIT Games Program in the School of Media and Communications. She's recently completed her PhD addressing what museums like this one can learn from retro gaming communities on the curation of game history. I'd like to say a big welcome to Marty Stratton. Good evening, Marty. So, Marty. How are you? Thank you. Marty's been a passionate and driven games developer for more than 20 years. In his current role as executive producer and director at id Software, Marty's responsible for guiding the development and the direction of the latest Doom game. Marty began his games career in 95 as a QA tester at Activision, and by 97 was the publisher's producer, working with it on Quake 2, Quake 3 Arena, and also Doom 3 as well. Finally, a big warm welcome to Simon Alti. Simon Alti is the Managing Director of Zenimax Australia, also known as Bethesda. He's been in the video game industry for over 25 years, huge career. Starting with Ocean Software back in 91, Simon has developed his career within several global gaming and software companies, including Rising Star Games, Atari Infograms. Simon played a pivotal role in bringing over hundreds of games to the market, from V-Rally and Worms in the 90s, to Elder Scroll Online, Wolfenstein New Order, Fallout 4, and now Doom in 2016. So, Before we actually get on to hearing from the stars of the day, let's put ourselves in a little bit of context and let's fight like hell and watch a little bit of Doom. Doom, it just, it feels different. 
we've taken the essence of, of Doom, the DNA of Doom, and said, how does, how does this translate for a modern shooter audience? It's exciting. It creates that feel that is unique to us, and you know that's why we do this: is to create uh, experiences that are that are unique and are something that is distinctly ours. It starts with combat, the fluidity of movement, the speed of movement, using your guns in in really effective ways, and feeling connected to the weapons, the responsiveness of the weapons. Doom is about, about guns, first and foremost, and, and, you know, fighting demons with guns. I think the designers here did a great job. I mean, they, they, they really tried to make each weapon distinct. Each one kind of has its own style to it. For example, the shotgun's kind of an up-close and personal weapon, but you can modify it so it has an alternate fire that can, you can, it works from a distance. You're inspired to keep playing because you want to fill up that full arsenal. And you're also fighting against the full suite of characters that, that we have in the game. And each of those characters are kind of like a chess piece. So once the chessboard is full in the later levels and your arsenal is full, then you can kind of pick and choose and tailor your experience to your certain playstyle with just the weapons alone. The way that you play is, is one of the most fun parts about doing. Your Argent energy you just taken into your system. This seems to agree with you. We've kind of had this whole upgrade system that allows you to play in a lot of different ways and use, you know, your own strategy and how you approach the different arenas and, and, you know, even tweak that as you go through the game. Then there's the, uh, the progression items like the research projects that we have and the runes. Uh, each of those basically allow you to customize your, your character and, and the way the game plays and the way it feels. I like to tailor my experience to uh, speed, make it so I can glory kill faster, I can mantle faster, I can switch mods faster, I can do all these things just a little bit faster. And once you stack these things on top of each other, the game just plays even faster than it already does, which uh, out the box it's, it's pretty pretty fast. So, uh, But that's my personal playstyle. A lot of games have kind of execution moves. Because the game is so fast-paced, it was a nice way to, to get out of what kind of happens with the clunkiness of some melee systems um, and, uh, and, and make melee within the Doom franchise something that, that really is very Doom. It's uh, contextual. Anywhere that you look, you actually glory do a different glory kill on a character. So if I approach a character from behind, I'll do a certain type of glory kill. And it all feels very fluid. I've played the game for a crazy amount of time, and I still love doing it. It's not a casual game where you can kind of, you know, be doing something else while you play, especially in the arenas. You know, they're, they're very challenging in, a, in the best possible way. We fill uh, these these spaces and these combat encounters with uh, with such a nice diversity of of, of enemies um, that are so distinct in their each of their behaviors. It's kind of like a mental chess game that's happening at a million miles an hour. You could turn a corner, there's a mancubus, you're probably going to want to switch to a chain gun or a rocket launcher or a gauss cannon, whatever is your, is your favorite heavy type weapon. All these things are kind of happening really fast and it makes for an incredibly engaging experience. Doom, you kind of, you got to sit up in your chair a little bit and shake out your hands. You, you, you know, you get beat a couple times and you're like, okay, this time I got it. Thank you, and now I'd like to hand over to our first host, Jason O'Callaghan and Marty Stratton.
Hey, buddy. How you going? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I guess the, the question for me is, Doom really is that retro-inspired shooter, you know, like lots of strafe shooting, you know, no traditional reloads, that kind of thing. How hard was it balancing bringing those elements to the game, but also engaging the modern audience as well? It was a challenge throughout <clears throat> throughout development, honestly, and and uh, you know I think I think some of the things that uh, that we tried to do, you know, we, they get called a lot of things. They get called retro uh, quite a bit, um, and and I've always tended to refer to them, even like in, in situations like this, but also even internally, is that there's there's just a timeless quality to those things. I mean, maybe they they kind of took shape and and took hold back in back in the in the in the day. Um, but, uh, but they're, they're just, they're just so much, they're just, they're just fun. You know, they're just fun things to fun things to do. So, um, when we first started on the game, we really did, uh, you know, take a look at, uh, at what the, what the DNA of doom was. We, we, we tended to refer to it as the DNA of doom and, uh, and, and, you know, always thinking about whether those would work in a modern, you know, in a, in a, in a game for 2016 and, we all play games. We know we know what they feel like, um, and I, I do think we hit this this really cool um, kind of uh, timing uh, with with the game uh, because you, you you do kind of see this groundswell of people like I'm I'm a little tired of of what you know the kind of current crop of shooters does. I'm I'm a little tired of of scripted cinematic scenes and and scripted gameplay and taking cover and and we kind of it was almost empowering as we as we saw this over the course of three years of development you know we kind of set these things in stone early on like with no cover no reloads no uh, regenerating health movement is a defense all these these core components of, of doom and uh, and as we developed it, it just it kind of felt like we were on the right track as people were talking about kind of what they were tired about with other shooters and it just it empowered us throughout development to, to like hey we, we we could be onto something here, and uh, and as we've launched, uh, it's been really fun to see the kind of the things that we were talking about internally really take shape. Uh, you know, as as people have experienced the game, and we've watched people play the game, and they've talked about it. Well, I guess the other thing that uh, Doom shares in common with its predecessor is that it was preceded by Wolfenstein. You released Wolfenstein two years ago uh, for the modern consoles as well. Did you learn any lessons bringing that to the fore that you incorporate into Doom, or it was just like a kind of holistic process? Mm. Um, I mean, it's always a holistic process. Uh, Machine Games was the developer of, of Wolfenstein. They're a sister studio of ours, um, in, uh, also owned by Zenimax Bethesda uh, out of uh, Sweden. Um, we're, we're, I mean, I, I say sister studios, and we really are sister studios. We share technology. Um, uh, we, we kind of drive the technology, but they, they just do a ton of work on it as well. We go back and forth. Um, and uh, th they definitely develop different types of games. You know, they're, they're driven um, largely by story, um, great gameplay as well. Uh, Jens, their creative director, is, uh, is a, he's just a, a masterful storyteller and creative in general. Um, and, and definitely took a lot of lessons from, from just how they approached Wolfenstein. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they, have a, they have a tremendous sense of style and, and personality that they injected into Wolfenstein and, and kind of took a lot of what we tried to do was take, take what, what was cool about it um, and, and what was cool about the, the characterization of it uh, and bring that, bring that forward 
Um, and they didn't, you know, they didn't really, they committed to what they were doing. And that was, I think that was something else that, that was, was somewhat empowering to see, to see people react so well to Wolfenstein and, and know that, um, you know, when, when you take an id brand, they have a, they have this quality to them that is, that is a little outlandish and bombastic, uh, and, and comic book. And, uh, and to see the machine games team really embrace that and commit to it and, and not, not let go of it and combine that with that sense of style. I think those were things that, that again, gave us a, gave us a, a you know, really sense, a good sense of confidence, uh, in doing that with, with doom as well. So, uh, yeah, lots of lessons there. They're a super talented team. Um, and, uh, you know, and also they, 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 they always referred to, they always referred to the game, um, as, uh, a love letter to, to, uh, I mean, they would say it a love letter to, to it or a love letter to, to Wolfenstein fans. Um, and when you think about it in those terms, that's, that's also kind of how, how we, we thought about it and how you kind of have to take it. Um, uh, and, and it's, it's almost this, this care and, um, and respect, but also, uh, you know, a, a sense of progress. I mean, you, 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 you have to, you have to make it modern. So you, you kind of, you do walk this tightrope between the, between the two, but, uh, I thought, I thought they did it great. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think we did take a lot of, a lot of good lessons from them just thematically. Well, I guess the other side as well is it is really well known for their kind of technical prowess and doom especially on the consoles, is just like a, a wonder to behold. Like, you guys have done a really great job of keeping it you know, steady framed, looking great, moving fast. Uh, was it really hard making a game that worked so well both on consoles and PC and, and still, like, deliver a result you guys were happy with? Uh, yeah, I'll say it's hard, and our, our programmers were the one that did it, so they probably would say it was even harder. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that... Uh, Working at it, I mean, my whole career, uh, our technology team has been uh, top top of the industry. I mean, it's it's uh, you almost uh, I, I've I've worked at it or on it games almost my entire career, so it's probably something that I've I've almost come to take uh, take for granted a little bit. Um, like, well, every team has a has a group of programmers that just make the game run at sixty frames a second or or higher and and it looks amazing, you know. I, I know how hard it is, and and the work they put into it was was ridiculous. Um, I, I think part of it is, you know, we are a, we are kind of primarily a PC development house. As much as you know, we do we do know that the consoles have are, are a huge audience. Um, we you know we really think from a PC mindset, from a how where we want to go with performance and graphics options and graphics quality. Um, you know, we have some some hardcore PC master racers, as they're called, um, uh, and uh, so so I think when you're when you when you set the bar that high, um, really becomes a challenge for the programmers more in optimization, and um, and and you know you end up as you as you go through development as we went through development, there's a lot of times where the game just doesn't even run on the consoles um, because you're you know you, you're kind of pushing the boundaries with how you're creating art and how you're creating levels and the amount of AI you're throwing on the screen that, you know, it, it just, it doesn't even work on, on a console. Um, and then as you get through, it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's really got a, uh, it's not the best way to develop the game. I'm not saying you, you necessarily should do that, but at, at it, that's, that tends to be how we do it. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then it is a, a race to optimize. Um, so, uh, 
uh, and, and they just did it. They did a tremendous job. Um, and I'm really excited about actually uh, a lot of the things we have uh, coming in the future. The way um, the way they architected the engine um, for actually the consoles, particularly the PlayStation, um, sets it up really well to be natively uh, uh, kind of capable on uh, the new uh, Vulkan API uh, for PCs, which is really going to expand the audience. Um, when that when that comes out and, and those cards come out, uh, Doom, we have a we have a, an upcoming release that'll that'll be Vulcan um, Vulcan supported, um, and it's really gonna it's gonna make the game run really well uh, on kind of older older generation cards um, and at 200 plus frames a second on the, on the highest end stuff. Um, and then again, you know, it 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 runs really just butter smooth on on the consoles on both sides. So uh, I'm just I couldn't be prouder of our tech team, and and they did put in a ton of effort to get there. Well, I guess one last one. Um, you, you, we, we heard obviously your uh, intro into gaming was what you would consider the traditional route, QA into development, into um, project management, stuff like that. What advice would you give to anyone who, you know, in, in modern gaming where that's perhaps not the, uh, the the kind of the standard way into video game development? Yeah, you know, I don't know if there is a standard way into video game development. It's, uh, I mean, like, I, I run into people constantly that have all different backgrounds, all different degrees. Um, I think the most, the most common thing is a, is, is a passion, you know, for it. Um, and a, and a, and a, and a, a huge sense of, uh, a thrill by, by doing it and by, by being part of it. Um, it's, uh, it, it's just, it's, 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 you, you've got to have that because it's so much work. It's so many hours. Um, and if you don't, if you don't love it, you're, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna make it through it. But, uh, um, but you know what, I, I, I think there's, um, if you want to be on, uh, some high level things, I would say, uh, no matter how you want to be, I, I don't, I don't have this, but if I, if I could go back, um, to, to have some level of engineering, um, or computer science, uh, not even necessarily a degree, but, uh, you know, taking some, some of those classes, um, it really doesn't matter whether you're a producer or an artist or an engineer. Um, if you're involved in any aspect of it, uh, I, I think I, I tend to see people who are more technical just have more success. It's a it's kind of a common language that's spoken uh, throughout the team. Um, I, I would say if you if you want to be an artist, do your art constantly. Um, the, the the biggest thing we look for. Um, is is just great work um, and a, and a real consistency to work. Um, more and more, I think the, the 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 kind of classroom side of things is very very important. Um, even if you're an artist, I mean, you can be super talented, but having having rules to fall back on and an understanding of design principles is hugely important. I, I give huge credit to um, our creative director Hugo Martin, who you saw in the video there. Um, he actually, we hired him as a, as a lead concept artist, made him the art director really, really quick. Um, and, and over the course of the project, became the creative director as well. Uh, he's, I mean, the, the two of us would just kind of like, just go back and forth and it's, it's just such a great collaboration. Um, but he has a very formal design background. He actually has a, has a, a training in designing cars. Um, and the way that he can talk to our artists because of his training and because of his education is remarkable. He, he, he teaches them rather than tells them how to move their hand or how to draw or just do it like me. He teaches them principles 
And, um, and then when he gives feedback later, it's all based on those principles. So it's not kind of this random haphazard feedback. It's, it's really thoughtful um, and stuff that he's said in the past. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I still think going through QA is an amazing way to, uh, to, um, to, to find your way into the industry and even kind of discover where you want to, where you want to fit in. If, if I, if I ran my own uh, company, I would actually probably have most people spend at least a month in QA um, because I just think it's such a valuable uh, part of the process and it's such a, a window into what, uh, what it takes to, to kind of take a game from beginning to end. Um, you learn how to, how to see things differently. We always talk about putting on our developer goggles. You've got to be able to see features and functionality in a like what it's going to be as opposed to what it is. Um, so there's just, there's just so many valuable things that you can, you can get from QA. So a little bit of a long-winded answer, sorry, but, uh, but I think there's lots of, lots of great ways to do it. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Marty. That's um, some fantastic advice for any young developers here in the audience. Uh, Helen, I'd like to pass over to you now. Oh, hi, Marty. Helen here. Um, because I'm a historian, I have to ask um, if you could... I, I can't hear. Oh, am I on? I'm sorry. I can't hear you. No. Hang on, I'm getting the hand mic. Okay, perfect. I've got the hand mic now. Is that better? Awesome, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I was just saying that um, I'm a historian, so I have to ask you about your early experiences with Doom. I know you were right there in the middle of uh, QuakeNet in the mid-90s, so part of the scene. So um, maybe you could share with us a bit about your early experiences with Doom and, and maybe with Quake even, if you're in a clan. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't in a clan, but uh, but my earliest experiences with Doom uh, were were right after college um, for me, actually. Um, uh, I, I kind of started um, at the end of college. I wasn't playing a ton of games. I was really I was getting a music degree, so I it was working my butt off uh, doing that. And um, and then start I, I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, some friends had had Doom, so I started playing Doom and it just happened. Uh, that I got an opportunity to get my job at, at Activision there, and um, and pretty quickly, you know, was 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 wrapped up in the nightly Doom uh, deathmatch games, um, and and really starting to just see that it, it was kind of the first time that I really got a got an experience that you can you can do this for a living. Um, I, I I was finding my way a little bit as far as like exactly what I wanted to do, um, but uh, but kind of got a sense of what, you know, what you could do in, in video games. So that was kind of the first touch points. And then very quickly, I started working with it. I started working with it when I was at Activision in, uh, in 97 on Quake 2. And, uh, and then I, I, you know, I think I, I probably really started to, to fall in love with multiplayer more around the Quake 2 timeframe. I, I, I really liked um, uh, some, some, some mods that were, I, I, I played the heck out of three wave CTF on, on Quake 2. We had a, 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 a kind of a, a daily, a daily play that, that usually got a little too long and too much a part of the day. So uh, we were, we, we ended up getting kind of restricted on that. Um, and then, uh, and then when I came to id, I, I really started to part, one of my, one of my early jobs when I, when I, um, when I started it is id was to work with the volunteer group that puts on our, our QuakeCon event. Um, and that was that was kind of an, another whole expansion of of understanding and, and experience. Um, 
it, much more so with the community than I than I had been uh, in the past. I mean that that was a that was a group of of just people who love to come together and put together this event, but also competitive gamers and mod makers, um, and really got a taste for for kind of the diversity of the community um, and just how amazing amazing that group is. Um, uh, and then, and then, of course, like uh, again, was wasn't in a in a clan, but um, we uh, we at ID got really, really good at Quake Three, and that's up until Doom. Quake Three was my favorite game, yeah. um, and uh, we uh, we had a uh, we had a, a contest internally that we called uh, Motu, which stood for Master of the Universe, of course, um, based on a, a two versus two Quake uh, Quake Three game, um, and. Uh, and we would play it every night and scream and yell at each other. And uh, we had we had our two man teams. And probably for a year and a half, uh, uh, Todd Hollinshead and I, who was the previous CEO of it, uh, we'd take on different people and we'd play it one on one. And and probably the pinnacle of of my feeling like a professional gamer was we got so good at this one map playing two v two CTF that we challenged people at QuakeCon and we worked with Nvidia, I think, on, on this one. Um, we would challenge people at QuakeCon to try and beat us. So anybody could put together a 2v2 team uh, and beat us, but it was it had to be on this map, and we had to be on the same team, and, and we had all these conditions that, that we put on it. Um, and if they beat us, they got a video card. Nobody could even score a capture on us. And, uh, and it got to the point where they had to start giving people video cards if they just scored a capture against us. And, and they were like... There were pro gamers coming up and 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 playing against us, but we had just gotten so good at that one that one experience that uh, that we were unstoppable. So that was that was my my foray into professional gaming, uh, which was a blast. Oh, sounds very heroic. I like your modesty there. Master. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the whole kind of masters of yeah. Um, just what you were saying that your backgrounds in music is really interesting because obviously in horror sound is just so important. And certainly in this new Doom version of Doom, where you're sort of forsaking the narrative components that have sort of crept into the previous one, that atmosphere is going to be even more essential for giving the player the full experience. So can you tell us a bit about the sound design in, in the newest Doom? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, sound is sound is hugely important uh, in doing this kind of stating the obvious, of course. But, uh, but it, you know, as, as much as as much as any other game. Um, uh, I just got to message my internet connection is unstable. Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, we have a, we have a great audio team. It's been led by a, a, a gentleman named Chris Height. Um, and, uh, and really the challenge for them, uh, I think was, was balancing, balancing it all. It, it's in a, in an action game, particularly an action game like, like ours. Um, and, and we honestly would get in a lot of discussions on this kind of stuff. We were constantly like, I want to hear this more. 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 And and he was like, you can't hear everything at the same time. You know, it's it's like you get, you know, a movie. You watch a car chase, and you know they pick the moment where the where the car screeches, and they bring everything else down. And and then when it starts down the straightaway, and you don't need to hear the car, they bring up the music. Um, we kind of don't have the same control because the player's in control. So in in our type of game, uh, it's it's just. It's a it's a real tribute to those guys that they were able to to get the mix such that you know at the times where uh, you're kind of you're you're out on the Martian landscape or you're creeping through 
you rarely creep in our game, but you're, you're moving your way through a, uh, a, you know, a UAC industrial facility. You really hear the, 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 the sounds of the environment and it, and it, and it centers you in the place. So there's lava flowing out of a pipe, um, or there's steam coming out. Um, or, you know, when it, when, uh, uh, when you're, when you're coming up to one of our gore nests, these, these kind of, uh, gory looking signals that, that bring in demons when you, when you attack them, um, you know, you got to hear that. It's got to, you got to have like a sense of a demonic presence. Um, and then something that's very signature from doom is, is hearing enemies before, before you encounter them. So, you know, doing that, ma making sure that, uh, you know, you could, you, you know, you, you, you got a sense of what was around the, around the corner, um, being very distinctive in the, um, in the sounds that demons make, uh, is, 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 is really important. Um, and, and again, like trying to, everything we did with the game from a, uh, you know, from a retro or bringing, bringing the old forward was, was never trying to just rip it off, just basically say, well, it sounds like this. So we're going to make it sound like, sound like that for 2016. It was kind of reimagining what, what that would be for, for today. Um, and again, so I, I thought they, you know, they went back to all of the demons, figured out kind of what were the characteristic qualities of them uh and then tried to do a, a modern version um and then of course music is is huge and and um when you get into our combat scenarios uh we really wanted to take um kind of what is considered you know doom doom has a reputation of being metal um and uh and so but again we didn't want to just do metal to, to to us that felt like if we went back and did as much as there's a lot of inspiration from kind of 90s metal we we often reference you know like the revenant looks like he's right off the cover of an iron maiden album cover um uh so as much as that's that's a reference for us uh we didn't just want to basically do 90s metal that that just felt too retro so we worked with a composer mick gordon um who's done a lot of really great stuff he actually worked on it was another influence from wolfenstein um they they used him to do the music for that um, and he had a, he had a great sense of of kind of modernizing metal, I guess is, is probably a good way to say it. Um, bringing a lot of uh, noise and chaos and um, and kind of industrial flair to to the music. Um, and then when you get into those those moments of of combat, we kind of bring a lot of the other sounds down and focus on you got to hear your guns, you got to hear the demons, and you got to hear the music. Um, so. It's kind of a constant juggling act when it when it comes to that stuff. Much much more complicated, I think. Like mixing a, a movie, um, games is games is a a, a a lot trickier. Are there any sound Easter eggs we should be looking out for? You can tell us. We won't tell anyone. <laughs> sound Easter eggs. That's it. Um, there probably are. Uh, I have to think about that. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. <laughs> um, what are the pleasures of making a sequel? The pleasures of making a sequel, you know, um, when you um, when you work at a place like ID, uh, you uh, and I've I've worked here a long time. I've worked here sixteen years, so uh, I've I've been shoulder to shoulder with founders of the company, um, and uh, and and had the privilege of of working on you know pretty much every game. I've worked on every game in some fashion since the Quake One mission packs back at Activision. So I have I have a tremendous respect for for the company. So to have the opportunity to lead a team on on Doom and particularly this team uh, that's that's so talented, it's it's 
I mean, it's, it's the opportunity of, of a lifetime, the opportunity of a career. I, I can't imagine anything better. Um, you, you know, you, you kind of do like you walk past the, the trophy case, you know, like we have a, we have a display case in the office up in the lobby and, and you see the old, you know, the old kind of relics of the, uh, of the, of the past, um, the, uh, you know, the, the toy shotgun that we have up there that was scanned to, to make the original shotgun. And, and just, I mean, there's just so many little bits of, of history here um, that, uh, that you kind of, there were moments like working on it. Um, you get, you get so close to it, uh, but there's moments where you're, you're working on it and you, you kind of catch something like that where you're standing by the display case and you're like, Oh my God, I I'm working on the modern version of that. Or you hear people talk about it. I, that, that's the thing that, that always strikes me the most and, and made me like, you just, you feel such a commitment and, and like, again, it's ridiculous hours that, that we work and, and, and such passion that we, we put into it. And for something like doom, you just, you, you have to do that because so many people love it. And so many people have individual experiences with the game, uh, with the, it's, it's, it's a part of their DNA as a gamer. And, um, and you just, you, you feel like you, you owe them something you, you, you owe them, um, every single possible thing you can do to make it, to make it great and to make it feel familiar. Um, and you owe new gamers, uh, the opportunity to, to, to fall in love with, with a game that they maybe not, maybe aren't familiar with. So again, it's kind of a juggling act as you go through that. Um, but, uh, I, I would say just a, a huge sense of pride and, and, uh, and reverence, but also, you know, a sense of like progression. We have to, we have to move this forward and, and make it relevant, keep it relevant. Uh, and, and overall make it fun. It's a, it's a game. So that's, that's, uh, job one. Well, I think there's some people who that actually want to ask you some questions. So maybe that's a good, good opportunity to hand over to the audience. So I'll give the hand mic. Back Great. To Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Helen. And yeah, thank very you. informative, Marty. Okay, so the way we'd like to do the Q&A is um, if you have a question for Marty, if you could please raise your hand and I'll be able to point you out. We'll ask you just to make your way up to the aisle just to make it of ease and we have a microphone on each side. So, yep, would you like to go that way? That would be fantastic. Thank you. And if you could please uh, start just by introducing your name and, and then yeah, asking your question for Marty. Hi Marty, uh, Stephen Farrelly from OzGamers. I've been in the industry as long as you have. And uh, just wanted to ask a awesome. question about, um, you talked a little bit before about uh, the influence and uh, the love that you saw in the Wolfenstein recreation from Machine Games. Was there ever a moment in the design kind of principle uh, period with Doom where you wanted to take Doom into a more story-driven uh, area? It's always been a kind of a, a game about vague kind of concepts, uh, large concepts, but very vague, sort of left up to the player. Um, was there ever a moment that you guys thought, maybe we could explore this, given how uh, story-centric uh, the Wolfenstein recreation was? Uh, yeah, actually. So so we actually, in, in at the beginning of 2013, when we started on this project, it was a, it was a reboot from uh, a, a kind of a version of Doom that had been being worked on. Um, and, uh, and that was far more story centric. That was, that was much closer to kind of the way Wolfenstein, uh, uh, played. Um, and, uh, and, and we got to a point with that game where, where we just decided that wasn't what we wanted Doom to be. 
Um, so we rebooted. It's always a, a tough decision, and and uh, and just kind of move on, learn from learn from that that work. Um, so we we kind of we had been down a pretty heavy story route, and even as we as we started to work on this, there was there was times where you know kind of story continued to 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 creep in um, where where it, where it took a, I guess I would say a, a heavier uh, uh, kind of dominating position than than we wanted. So we would always pull back from that because it was kind of one of our initial rules, like combat first, combat first, combat first, combat first. Um, and and then we, we really started, I would say about halfway through, uh, we, we really started to kind of gel around what our what our current story is um, and and found our footing on on that. And it really uh, it really centered about around more about like providing lore that that was one of the goals of of this game we, we did want to kind of create doom like you said doom's kind of never been much more than a page of uh, a page of story and doom, doom 3 had a bit more um but there was there was just kind of ripe opportunity and when i when i talk about kind of the character that machine games brought to wolfenstein aspects of things like the like the uac we didn't want to just have the uac be a generic sci-fi corporation that you see in you know in, in any movie or any other game um it's like how how like what about doom can we inject into the uac and make it great um so just taking it as an example you know they they basically they 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 work on demons they they weaponize demons like that's insane and and almost comical um so let's embrace it and let's let's make the most of it um, and, and make them really weird. Uh, we, we kind of made them this weird combination of religion and science and the occult. Um, and, and people have reacted well to that. Uh, you know, giving a little bit more lore uh, behind the Doom Marine. Um, we, do, we do all these things uh, in ways that kind of keep it out of the way of, of players who just want to kind of blow stuff up and kill demons. Um, but if you want to dig and you want to explore, uh, we, we, we leave a lot of opportunities for, for players to engage. So uh, it kind of took a backseat, um, but once we, once we really kind of found our footing um, and, and found the devices that, that we wanted to use, uh, we really got into it. And I think we've delivered more story in this, in this Doom than, uh, than really any Doom in the past. Thanks, Marty. Uh, next question. Hi, I'm Rick, longtime fan of id Software. Um, so I beat the game the other day, fantastic work by the way, and I noticed in the credits that a lot of sister studios like Machine Games, who you mentioned, and Tango Gameworks were listed in the credits as helping out, and they're all scattered around the world, Machine Games is in Sweden, Tango's in Japan, and I'm wondering like, how hard was it to keep all these distant groups on the same page with time zones and that sort of thing in the way? That's a good question. Um, so it, it would depend on the studio as far as like uh, how how much how much work they did and how complex that work is. So with somebody like Tango, um, they they did a few uh, a few models for us. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty straightforward type of uh, you know type of exchange. We, you know we send over a, like a like a concept um and and uh and, and basically say can you you know can you can you do this and if they had a, an idle uh artist you know they would do it and send it back over and we give some feedback so stuff like that isn't too complicated um you know the some of the others uh where we're working with them very closely machine games 
Um, it's a lot of uh, video conferences. It's a lot of communicating over, um, you know, chat, a um, lot of emails. Uh, that, that's that's pretty. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a little bit of a brute force method. I can't say that we we have it have it, uh, you know, have some glamorous system that that does it. Uh, just a just a lot of talking and a lot of uh, back and forth on on things. Thanks, Marty. I think I'll we'll take a question from the other side now. Um, hi, my name is Matthew. Um, I'm a sound engineer and a musician, um, and I just wanted to ask a question about uh, sound foley and how it relates to some current tech that's coming out. Um, I know that in a lot of movies, um, when they do sound foley, they'll specifically try to make everything have as least reverb as possible so that the sound cuts through. And with the uh, GTX 1080 that's getting released, they've introduced some technology for ray traced. Uh, at the moment, it's kind of echoes, but like it'll obviously be used for reverberation. I was wondering from a uh, producing point of view, um, if that's a sort of technology you would try to incorporate into games or whether the desire to have things cut through and be very controlled would win over. Um, so I guess I'm asking, uh, is that sort of technology that makes sound location much more realistic actually a good idea in games, or should it still be as managed as it is currently with the way that sound effects are put into the game? Man, that's a great question for our audio team. I, I will try to uh, I will try to do my best. Um, I think uh, I, I know part of, uh, and I, I'm I'm not at all that familiar with the with the feature you're speaking about on the on the gtx 1080 um but uh i, I do know from a um just from that foley perspective when when we do capture sounds and want them to cut through um and be and be pure uh there is at least at the at the at the foley perspective we always want that that sound to be to be very pure so that you know all of the processing anything we do on it later you know, it, for, for us, it's in, it's in our, our WIs, uh, kind of audio engine, uh, we license WIs, um, that, that, that all happens kind of, uh, after the fact. And you always have that, that the purest sound that, that can, um, that, that can cut through and, and definitely our, our audio guys, um, as they, uh, as they consider sound, um, it's, it's always like at what, at what frequency does that sound exist? Because, you know, you're ending up with with things competing and canceling each other out. Um, so, uh, so at least with our guns, uh, you know, they were they made it very specific that that they kind of existed in this one uh, frequency range, um, or or a lot of the sound existed in the one frequency range. So that so that you would get that that cutting through and that punctuation. And then you know, demon sounds or the demon spawn in sound uh, was different. Um, and then, you know, when the music's playing, you, you make sure that, that all those things aren't, aren't competing with each other. So I, that probably didn't answer your question, but, uh, but that's, uh, uh, hopefully partially. <laughs> um, is that the reason why the music, um, seemed to have no mid range in it? Like it seemed very low and high, like a very sort of metal sound system, sort of smile curve. Was that deliberate? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I would say so again that, that like Chris and uh, Chris and Mick could 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 tell you specifics uh, about that, but um, but but that stuff is is generally deliberate, where you're you're trying to get you know um, 
you know, like our, our guns and our enemies would, would generally kind of fill that, that mid range. And then you can get the, the music, uh, kind of outside of that spectrum so that everything does, everything does gel and, and you don't have frequencies canceling each other out. Thanks, Marty. You feel like very informative and a great answer for someone who's uh, not specifically working on the sound engineering. Uh, to the audience, sure. we will endeavour to get through all of the questions that we have, but we do have a relatively limited time here with Marty. Uh, he's a fairly busy bloke, obviously, at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I'll head over to another question from that side. Thank you. Uh, hi, Marty. My name's Mitch, and I'm a big fan of uh, id Software games. And um, I've been playing Doom for a long time, and uh, I was just wondering... Um, you, you probably know about uh, how active the Doom community is and stuff online, uh, making maps and mods and everything. Um, I was just wondering, uh, were you influenced or inspired by any like uh, community-made uh, Doom or Doom 2 maps or mods uh, when creating the new Doom? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say anything, I, I wouldn't point to anyone in particular. Uh, there's, uh, we, have, we have some stuff a little bit down the road that you, you might find familiar um but uh you know i mean probably the one that um that they that when that question is asked or or they they just asked directly um was how uh was is brutal doom um and uh and we, i mean we definitely we definitely saw that out there um and uh you know it's 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 funny because because i i think people people do think that doom was was basically like just inspired by brutal doom I, I think it's kind of a, uh, a pretty pretty natural progression for Doom um, to just it, it, Doom is a brutal game, and it's yeah. it's as I talk about the DNA of it, as I talk about the you know the kind of um, what makes Doom Doom. It's always you know violence is is a big part of it, uh, and and uh, and there's a there's kind of an irreverence to it. Um, we did. We generally, with that kind of stuff, tried to stay uh, very humorous with it. If you, you know, it sounds like you played the game, um, so it's 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 obviously over the top, and uh, and there's a lot of blood, and you're ripping arms off, and guys are blowing apart, and all that kind of stuff. But it is very bombastic, and and you kind of are are generally laughing uh, as much as you're as you're doing anything when when it's happening, and and that's that's kind of the 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 the, the brutal doom. Uh, uh, way as well so um you know uh you know just so, so much good stuff out there um and and just generally i would say as much as anything mods inspired us to uh mods in that community inspired us to want to make snap map um which is kind of our our user generated content uh tool and and hub within the game uh it it is really our technology kind of places a lot of limitations on on people's ability to build maps. Uh, if you messed with Rage at all, um, you know we use we use really big data, and and our light maps take a very long time to to bake. Um, so it can be very cumbersome for somebody who wants to make content. Um, and oftentimes, you know, it, it's limited to people with just that that kind of special expertise. In programming or level design or somebody who's figured out you know what are generally fairly complex tools um so you know that that community of people uh that that kind of get that have that love of creation um i've always felt like is a is a awesome group but but relatively small and and with this we wanted to to make that available to everybody like really truly like if if you just spend a few minutes uh, and understand the fundamentals of SnapMap, 
you can you can understand how to how to put stuff together and create a game mode or a level or or anything. Um, and uh, and I, I I found that myself. Like uh, I I was never. I was never technical enough to be a part of the, you know, the mod community or never really got into that side of it. Um, but, uh, but snap map building maps is, is one of my favorite parts of doom. And, and just after 20 years in the industry to be able to sit down and make something directly that, that like, I, I have an idea for a game mode. I'm going to make it um, myself is thrilling. So, um, so yeah, huge inspiration from, from that perspective. Awesome. Thanks, Marty. Yeah, thanks, Marty. Snap Map is a fantastic new feature of, of the new Doom. Uh, over to this side. Uh, g'day, Marty. My name's Nick, apprentice game designer here in Melbourne. Uh, my question was, uh, were there any design features that you tried to avoid or implement from Doom 3 into the latest iteration? Um... There weren't a ton, actually. Um, when we when we started uh, when we started this this when we rebooted the project and 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 started, uh, we did uh, you know we did kind of put as much on the whiteboard as as we could from a uh, we just asked the question like we're, we're making we're making a Doom game. What is it that we are going to be inspired by? What what is the game that we want to make? What is the game that we think fans are going to want to play? Um, and, uh, and we just started listing things that are like the quintessential elements of doom. And, uh, I think, um, you know, when it comes to doom three, I mean, it, it just, it, again, like I, I have, I, like I have such a love for the games we make and, and I thought it was such a good version of doom. Uh, it was just, it, it, you know, it was just very different. Um, so, uh, you know, I, the, the Hell Knight is pretty similar to the to the one in in Doom Three. Um, there was definitely some similarities there. He was such an iconic character in in Doom Three. Um, but uh, but we went we went such a such a fast pace, such a shift from horror to action um, that that uh, we really we really kind of built our foundation on on Doom One and Doom Two much more so than uh, than Doom Three. Hey Marty, Daniel, um, been a big fan of uh, it since basically the 80s, since Commander Keen, <laughs> so I've been playing for quite some time. Um, going back to one of your previous games, Rage, it felt like it was, it almost had an identity crisis, it had great gunplay, it had some cool adventuring, and some cool RPG mechanics, but it felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. It kind of felt like it was flip-flopping between one thing and another. Whereas from the get-go in Doom, I felt like it knew what it wanted to be, it, how ridiculous its concept was, and it knew how, it knew where it was going from the start to the finish. Um, any thoughts on that? Do you feel like that was the case? You feel like Doom felt more focused than Rage? Um. Well, I, I mean, uh, I, I liked Rage. I, I thought I thought Rage was a really good game, um, and uh, uh, but but I, I I do think Doom had a um, Doom had the opportunity to be more focused. Um, you know, when you're when you're doing a new IP, uh, it's 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 really hard. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's you 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 really want to accomplish a lot. Um, and and I, I think Rage Rage did uh, did a, just a ton of great things, um, but Doom 
do once once we again when we kind of distilled things down and we said combat is king like that that that's a simple statement but to to your point um it gives you a, a clarity in in focus uh that that translates to everything we we did um and uh and and so uh I mean, we even had, like I mentioned those whiteboard sessions where we put all the stuff up on the board. Out of that, we kind of created these, these filters and we created a vision statement for the game. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that, that was a very focused, focused thing. It was, it was uh, uh, you are the Doom Marine, hell's worst nightmare, beating back the relentless forces of hell. Um, and, uh, you know, when you say you are the Doom Marine, hell's worst nightmare, beating back the relentless forces of hell. That, that's, that's all about action. That's all about pushing forward. Um, and even, even something like uh, Hell's Worst Nightmare, which again, we, we wrote that in it, at the beginning of 2013. It's, it's awesome to see online people talking about the Doom Marine in, in a sense of like, you know, he, like Hell's terrified of him. They, he's, they're so terrified of him that they locked him in this, in this, stone box and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and hid him from, from everybody, uh, and defended, you know, de when, when the UAC and Samuel came to, I'm hopefully I'm giving some spoilers here, but, uh, when Samuel came to, to, to take him, hell defended it. You can read about this in the, in the lore. Um, and, and the way he, he reacts to the demons and the way the demons react to him, uh, it's, uh, those kinds of things, like you, you kind of, establish this focus early on and if you really stay true to it uh and and again doom was doom was a huge opportunity to be able to do that and and we could come out and we could say doom is about combat doom is about action and you know when we did that at quakecon 2014 people were like yeah that's what we want thank you and that just that just reinforces to us like okay we're doing the right thing um so uh you know so i i do think doom was a very focused experience when when we kind of lay that lay that down and we say this is what we're going to do that kind of thing transcends uh all of our decisions and and uh and we became more and more empowered in doing that as we as we went thanks money we'll uh take one more from this side hi money and my name's tegan i'm a historian and uh game and culture journalist so it's going to be along those lines um obviously the gaming industry is starting to be taken a little bit more seriously as in terms of artistic and, and culture. Um, but a lot of the time I find it's more indie titles that are quite subversive or really character or narrative driven. But here we are in a museum space talking about Doom. So where do you think that fits in? In Is there a place for it in the art world? And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I think games are games are games are interesting because they are they're everything i mean they're they're just uh they they um their art their entertainment their um you know there's a there's a huge amount of history uh and and historical significance to them um they they become kind of defining elements of of pop culture uh so i i mean i i can't imagine how games don't don't fit into to, to something like that. Um, you know, we we dealt with it throughout throughout Doom the the kind of historical significance and and particularly in in pop culture that that the original had. Um, and you know, we're we're kind of I mean it's it's inspiring. It's terrifying to a certain extent when you're working on 
when you're working on something that has mean that kind of in the past. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, you kind of set out with, with those expectations and, and hopes, uh, as you're developing to, to try and, to try and do something similar to, to, to create a moment for people where they say, I, I remember when I sat down, um, and, and played doom or, or, you know, whatever, whatever game it is you're, you're working on. That's a, that's a moment that we strive for, uh, as developers, um, so, so I think, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it brings so many, brings so many aspects together, uh, to, to create a game. So, so many more than really any other form of entertainment. Um, I can't imagine, uh, music, sound, art, design, um, you know, all of it, just, just the animation. It's, it's the, it's, it's the, and, and then, and then combining that with a, a user, you know, that, that basically gets to control all of that. Um, it's, 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 it's remarkable. They ever even come together. <laughs> Honestly, I've done it a long time and I, I still, it, it, it's, it blows my mind that we, uh, that we get to do this and that, uh, and that it all works. <laughs> Thanks, Marty. I think we've got time for just, uh, one or two more quick questions. So we'll take one from that side and one from this side. Uh, hello, Marty. My name is James. I currently study game design here in Melbourne. And um, my question to you is, what did you and the team do to make sure that Doom remained relevant for, you know, modern audiences? And like what you did to bring in new gamers and stuff like that to the series? Sure. Uh, I think the number one thing, uh, this is going to sound overly simplistic, but I think the number one thing was we said fun is fun is the most important thing. Um, and we have, we have all types of gamers. We're not, you know, a bunch of, uh, just old doom players that, that have never played a game since doom. And we wanted to, to make, make an, uh, this like a reskinned version of doom. Um, so, you know, as much as, as much as we have a love for Doom, uh, you know, everybody has modern sensibilities and, and plays, plays everything that, that comes out as, as much as possible. Um, so I think, uh, I think combining those two things, combining like, you know, what, what, what is going to be fun today, today, like that, that, that has to be, it has to be a fun game today. If, if you have no, if you have, have no knowledge of Doom, um, you still have to have a fun time playing the game and you still have to think our enemies are badass and you have to think our guns are powerful and it has to be the most exciting, exhilarating experience you've ever had. And if you played Doom or if Doom is part of your, your kind of gaming history, um, there is a familiarity to it and, and a kind of a wink and a nod and a, a nudge here and there that, that like, Hey, remember this? Or, uh, one of the, one of the coolest moments, uh, uh, since, since we launched was, um, uh, there's a, um, there's a, uh, in one of the doom levels, there's a famous kind of room where, uh, mancubuses, uh, appear on these, these columns, these pillars. Um, and there's a, there's a, uh, in, in one of our doom levels, um, there's a kind of a very similar shaped room. It's in hell. Um, and our designer did it very deliberately. And I was watching a, a, a player named, uh, Dracu, uh, on Twitch, uh, the, the day that it came out. And uh, he went into the room and it is a fun fight. Like it is, it is awesome. You go into this room and these four mancubuses spawn and the mancubuses are amazing. They're fun to fight. Um, and most players would just walk in there 
and they would have a blast. They, they just, it, it's, it's a great, it's a great fight. Uh, but he walked in there and all he said was, oh, I see what you did there. That's cute. And he, I mean, he, he had like 10,000 players, you know, watching him or something, 7,000 players watching him, had no idea that anybody from id was watching him, but it was that, that moment. He didn't say, oh, I get it. That's that level from, you know, he just, he just said, I get it. Um, and, and that was such an example of what we tried to hit, uh, with, with everything, uh, with the enemy design, you know, you, you needed to look at the Revenant, you know, this, you know, our, our, our collector's edition that I see sitting there, you needed to look at him if you were a new gamer and just be like, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's a demon skeleton with a jetpack and rocket launchers on his shoulders. That's unbelievable. And he's got to be fun to fight. And then, you know, if you're a classic doom fan, you're like, uh, that's that's a really thoughtful, uh, cool reinterpretation of of the revenant. So it's it's kind of always that balance, focusing on fun first and foremost, um, and making sure that it is a great gaming experience. You know, we added things like upgrades and you know weapon mods and runes and lots of things that gamers would expect through progression and that kind of stuff. Those are easy um, and and obvious decisions, uh, but those. But, but making sure that it was fun, but then everything just kind of made sure we had that familiarity to it and, and, uh, and lots, of, lots of winks and nods and nostalgia and, and homages that, uh, that I think, you know, long time, long time Doom players just felt like was that, that warm blanket wrapping around them again. Thanks, Marty. Uh, this will be our final question for the day. Uh, good day, mate. Um, Chris Stead here, long time journo. Um, Look, you're, this question has a bit of crossover with the last one, actually, but you know, a lot of your potential audience uh, for this game uh, wasn't born when Doom came out and the genre was kind of established. Um, and when I'm covering Doom in mainstream press, I feel compelled to kind of spell out the role that you guys have played in laying the foundations of the SPS, because I know I've got readers who may not connect with you, um, specifically mm -hmm. for that era. So as well as servicing the fans, did you feel any sense of responsibility uh, to connect these young gamers to the genre's roots. And if so, can you give us some examples of any design decisions that were kind of driven by that thought pattern? Yeah, I mean, a absolutely. Some of, the, um, some of the most fundamental aspects of the game uh, were very much deliberate uh, and, and, you know, almost, uh, I don't know whether you'd say risky or... or um, uh, definitely counter you know counter to, to what is what is the norm right now um i i think um you know just just simple examples like uh the um the way that uh you know you play a lot of you play a, mo a lot of modern games now you're fighting kind of conventional enemies guys with i mean painting with a broad brush there's obviously aliens and and all that kind of stuff too but uh you, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of modern shooters, you know, you, you're, you're fighting guys with guns, uh, they're, you know, hit scan uh, where, you know, bullet gets shot. You don't really see it. You just, it kind of hits you and you're, you're like, Oh, okay. Something hit me. Um, you know, with doom, uh, and, and with kind of the, the whole concept of, of the, of the combat is it's all, it's all about, you know, kind of movement, dodging projectiles, dodging, uh, enemies that are doing melee attacks. It's it's about this interaction where you're you're um, you're constantly your your decisions in a Doom game are reacting to the the stuff that's flying at you from from every angle uh, in the game. 
uh, and it does come from every angle. I mean, like the first time we backspawned an enemy on, on players and, and we, we, you know, kind of put that out there, you know, some people were like, you, you can't do that. That's not, that's not what gamers expect. They don't expect enemies to spawn behind them. Um, and then, you know, throw a fireball in their ear. Uh, so, uh, so those were, those were definitely some moments of, of like, this is, this is going to be different for people. And this is going to feel different for a lot of players who, who haven't played, uh, the original. Uh, but again, we, we kind of kept that focus on, on fun and made sure that, uh, you know, that we were, as we, as, as we go through those early levels of the game, we really do try to introduce those concepts as fast as the game starts. Um, we do try to introduce the concepts, uh, slowly, uh, as, as slow as we do anything in doom. So, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of break your, break your way off the, off the table there. Um, and you're fighting within 15 seconds. It's, it is just a couple guys. We teach you the glory kill mechanic pretty quickly. And then we put you in that first arena. Um, and, uh, and you, you basically learn the fundamentals right there. You, 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 you can't stop. If you stop, you're dead. Uh, you, you can move just about anywhere that it looks like you can move. The enemy can move just about anywhere that it looks like it can move. And, uh, and you, and you got to kill them. Uh, and that, that's, that's kind of, uh, at a, at a high level, the way, the way doom works. So we kind of ramp you up in, in that, in that progression, uh, early on. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, I think players have, have really taken to it. And, and, uh, and like I said, it's, it's whether you call it classic or retro, uh, or timeless, like I do. Um, I think they're just they're just fun principles of design uh, that um, that can be just as applicable now as as they were, you know, 23 years ago. Uh, and that's 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 kind of what we were betting on when we when we made the game. Thanks, Marty. Can I please get a huge round of applause for Marty Stratton? Thank you again for having me. Really appreciate it. No, and we really appreciate uh, you taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule at the moment uh, in order to talk to us here. So thanks again, Marty, and, and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks. You too. So now I'd like to pass over to Jason O'Callaghan, and he's going to have the chance to have a, a quick chat with Simon Elty, Managing Director of Bethesda or Zenimax Australia. Hello, Simon. Follow that, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. Um, <laughs> so I guess the, probably the 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 most relevant one for me that popped straight out of, into my head is the uh, the Doom statue. Have you guys seen the Doom statue out in the thing? Yeah. It's yeah. So that's probably going to be one of the more unique activations, shall we say, of uh, in gaming that you've done. But you've been in this business a long time. Is there something else that that sticks out? Is there any stories from the old days that that come back to you? Yeah, we broke a lot of rules. A lot of people weren't watching so much. Before I answer that, can I just say how cool it is that we're actually in Acme alongside a Scorsese exhibition talking about Doom and video games. <laughs> um, that in itself is, is really cool. The fact that we've got the, the activation down so, there. I don't know. Like, no, it's all right. I'm supposed to come out with those. Oh, ones. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Words. Um, it, 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 that, that in itself talks about how far we've come. I mean, my mind wanders back to a lot of stuff that we did because we weren't allowed to do it. Yeah. Um, so we just took to the streets and did a lot of stuff back then. But we were appealing to a very specific core group. Um, then through the years, the 90s, we aligned ourselves a lot to the music industry. Yeah. Um, so we were both broken industries at that time. So we aligned ourselves. So we were doing things like Battle of the Bands versus Battle of the Clans, yeah. um, stuff like that. But I think more recently, 
Yeah, well, they were interesting. <laughs> yeah. Try and get a bunch of people to watch clans play after a band's just thrash metal through a whole set. <laughs> anyway, that's another day. Um, more recently, um, it becomes a lot easier for us. We don't have to create uh, these reasons for people to come and, come and gather. Yeah. People want to come and gather. And f for us, and particularly now with, with Bethesda, they'll, they'll gather whenever we say, let's get together. So um, we've got some awesome cosplayers, for example. I'll say Fallout 4 is probably the, the most recent example of that. Yep. So. Yeah, when we, we, and, and the Elder Scrolls yep. as well. Um, just passionate, people passionate about the law, passionate about it. So for us, it, you know, those gatherings are more about a little bit like Acme. We create spaces for people to come and talk and play. Yep. So our role these days is to facilitate rather than sort of try and manufacture those things. Yeah, nice. Helen, you've got a question for Simon. Yeah, um, is this mic working now? Excellent. Uh, I just wanted, because um, sometimes people in the industry are a little confused about all the different roles um, between the developers and the publishers yep. and the distributors, yep. and, and maybe you could just sort of talk people through. Sure. Yeah, so you get the really cool games guy there, and you get the boring marketeer here. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's the way of the world. I mean, that what I think what Helen's talking about is that like all entertainment businesses in games, we have the game's creators and then we have that group of people, which tend to be called publishers, who take that game and make you aware of it. And those people in that publishing group are arranged from lawyers through to PR and marketing people to salespeople who have to sell to people like EB Games, a whole range of things, distribution companies around the world. There are markets where we don't sell our games directly, so we have to use distribution companies. So traditionally, that's the role of a publisher. But of course, what's happening nowadays is that that's all just meshing together. Um, you know, back in the day, the game was made, it was handed to that group. There wasn't really a relationship between those two groups of people, and off we went to market. Nowadays, we work hand in hand. We're totally entwined and immersed. The spokespeople are no longer faceless PR people. They're Marty, they're Todd. They're the game's creators themselves. So um, we, we have to create great product. Everyone does, whether it's a group of two guys or whether it's a team of 300. The, the important thing is, is the game any good now? If the game's good, then, then the publisher's job is to make sure as many people get to know that as possible. Um, so it is really much more of a collaborative approach than it ever was before, which makes answering your question more difficult yeah, because the, yeah, the, the, the lines are blurred. The historical model where the publisher often put the money forward, yep. uh, the developer made the game, the developer, with the exception of its software, um, often never owned the rights to their games yep. and they would sit with the publisher and the publisher's name would be the one that went into most people's memories. True. Rather if, than if anyone ever remembers a publisher. But <laughs> I think that um, that's changed. Mm. Um, and if it hasn't changed everywhere, it's changing everywhere very quickly. Mm. I mean, the diff what's driving that is lots of different things. Um, we've got a scenario similar, I talked about the music industry, where everybody can publish now. You make a game yourself, there are ways for you to get your game to market. Um, we've got that going on. We've got direct sales, so developers themselves of scale, and they're often part of groups which are publishers, and so developers become publishers just can sell their wares through Xbox Live, through PlayStation Network, through Steam, however it may be. So who is and what is a publisher? That, that has changed 
yeah. the, uh, tremendously. I mean, if you look at Bethesda, really, you know, I one of the reasons I love working for Bethesda is that we are a group of collaborative studios that happen to also publish our own games. Mm. Um, and that gives us that level of control. It gives us that level of um, care and consideration, not just about the content, but the way we communicate our content. So, and that's often why you'll see Bethesda do things differently. Um, but that the rules and principles of a big company like ours, and obviously we're nowhere as near as big as some of the others, they apply to everybody. You know, I was talking to Ari yesterday about um, some of the guys. We've, we've got the arcade here in Melbourne, and you've got some great games makers coming out of there now. Um, and part of the role of the publisher is, is strip, away the, strip away money. Everyone stop lying about money. Everyone wants to make money. Every games maker, every games publisher wants to make money. But let's not make it about money. If you make about money, you'll fail. If you make it about great games, then the next, the job of the publisher is to communicate. Is to communicate, is to reach out to, if you're lucky enough to have a community, a group of people interested in what you do, to them. And then as far as you can, push it and convert more and more people. So today, the role of the publisher is more and more the job of the communicator. And in that small group of people at the arcade, everyone's got a mate or a friend who loves playing games, who's probably better than you or maybe different at you at communicating mm. or can spend their time communicating, crafting your blog, working on your social media and getting your message out there. And, and that's, that for me is where publishers are going. That's what, what publishers are gonna become. So good communicators. And as you can see, our studio heads are immense communicators these days. They're the rock stars now of our business. Fantastic. Can I please get a, a huge round of applause for Simon, for Jason, and for Helen. And for Ari as well. Thanks, Jason. So uh, just a few things before we wrap up today. I, I know you've heard Jason mention earlier the fantastic activators, the fantastic um, eight-foot-high version we have of The Revenant. So he's currently living down in our, um, in our free-to-attend uh, to Screen Worlds gallery just near the Games Lab section. So I'd like to encourage you all to go down and see it because he really is something to behold if you haven't seen him already. I'd like to thank you all for attending. I think it's been a fantastic session um, and obviously um, um, an exclusive here in Australia for you to be able to actually have this chance to, to talk one-on-one -on -one with, with both Marty and Simon. Um, I would like to offer on behalf of Acme a huge thank you to Bethesda for helping to make this happen. They've been absolutely amazing through the entire process. And particularly I'd like to give a huge thank you to one of the unsung heroes of the process, which is um, Miss Beck Waddy, who's sitting down the front here. She's been absolutely instrumental in making this thing happen. And fantastic the entire way. Well, as we said earlier, look, uh, we're really, really pleased and proud to support the gaming industry here and also culturally related gaming events here um, at the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. And we have a lot of extremely exciting things coming up, some of which I can talk about and some of which I can't. But the best thing I can say is please do keep an eye on this space uh, because there's going to be constantly new things happening. So um, coming up in late June and also early July, we have a really exciting series 
of Play Like a Pro Sessions, where we're having um, professional gamers come in and actually do their things here in the cinema. A chance for you to actually perhaps even win a lottery ticket to come down and test out your skills against some of the best gamers in Australia across some of the most competitive games. We also have a very, very exciting event, which I can only tell you a little bit about, but coming up in late July in time for the Olympics. So if any of you are retro fans out there, please do keep an eye on this space because it's going to be an extremely unique and extremely fun event. But look, on again, on behalf of myself and Acme, I wanted to thank you for all for coming along. Please do not forget to take your awesome Doom t-shirts that Bethesda has provided. They are not just chair covers. They are t-shirts for you to take and to enjoy. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.